Whether disasters are happening on a global scale or in your personal sphere, these are difficult times that require prophetic insight from God in order to be at rest. This is Sam Solon inviting you to the continuing study of the book of Revelation. We want to jump right into the next message in this series, in this installment series. We had deconstructed the term war. We saw that the term used was not strateomi, but polemeo. Strateomi being the manner in which armies clash in the field of battle. But polemeo is that of a verbal warfare, hearts and minds warfare. Now, consider that meaning, polemeo, polemics, arguments, quarrels. Uh, consider that meaning now within the context in which it in which it occurs. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? All right, since this is a verbal throwdown, a verbal conflict, look at the rest of it. And he was given a mouth. So the beast, these, this systemic kingdom, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Now, does it make sense then? Is it consistent with what is being said in the passage to apply the meaning polemeo or polemics? Well, of course. But if you're talking about military engagements, what then is the meaning of being given a mouth? Why do you need a mouth if in a shooting warfare? If this is about guns and sieges and military confrontations, as some uh, so, so routinely suggest, if it's that, what is the relevance of being given a mouth? And you remember from Daniel, Daniel the seventh chapter that speaks about this beast, it was a little horn that came up. And then earlier on in the book of Revelation, introducing the beast in this very chapter, uh, one of, there were seven heads and ten horns. And on one of the heads, with horns on, of course there were horns on each of the heads, but on one of them, pardon me, this little horn comes up and it speaks blasphemous things. That horn was given a mouth. We understand from our previous studies that the horns on a beast are the means by which the animal 
projects its power. So with ten horns on seven heads, there's power in all of these systems over mankind because this kingdom is a systemic kingdom. We understand that. We've, we've been teaching about this now. Uh, and if, if, if you've just come into the series, then this won't make any sense to you, so go back and listen to the rest of the series. We're talking about how Satan's kingdom has always been a systemic kingdom based in the need for provision and protection and uh, mandated by the conflict between the serpent, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The form of this conflict has increasingly become uh, systemic and at the end of the age there are seven systems on which human life depends for provision and protection, which is all-encompassing, provision and protection. And out of that, a subset, you'll gain an identity associated with the beast, which is this whole matter of a mark, taking the mark of the beast, having an identity that relates to provision and protection within the ambit of this, of the influences of this beast which projects its power through seven systems ruled over by ten persons of influence who are called kings or sovereigns. Right? Now, one of these horns speaks blasphemy, speaks great things and blasphemies. Now, as I said, within the meaning of the term polemics, polemeo, this makes perfect sense. The other, as a shooting war, is without reference in the scriptures. Certainly, it's not the word strateomi, it is the word polemeo. Now, the speaking of this little horn is the manner in which it wages war against the saints and overcomes them, overcomes them. It would be problematic if the beast could actually physically destroy the saints, as in a shooting war, because then the question is, who is more powerful in a war or where is God in the protection of His people? And the idea of being raptured out of here is to quit the field and admit defeat. But this isn't that war. This isn't that kind of war. This is a war of words. This is a war of ideologies. This is about popularity. This is about uh, uh, dominating the culture. This is about filling the airways with sounds. So what kind of sounds? But before we get to that, before we get to what kind of sounds, and overwhelming the saints. If you're a believer and you think 
that you're going to get on social media and correct all these cretins on social media whose distorted natures have been given full reign together with anonymity so they can vomit this vile and contemptible stuff so routinely? If you think that somehow we are going to clear the air and get everybody to see what the truth is, then you haven't read the scriptures. Listen, God wants you to know what's going on, but you're not going to correct it. I'm amused and amazed that the foremost alleged prophets of our time do not see that the warfare is for ideology. Instead, when they talk about a cultural war, they largely mean, and when they tell you prepare for war, they mean a shooting war of some kind. They talk about needing to lay down your life for your faith because they, they've all embraced this mythology that they are coming for us. They don't understand. The war is here. It's being fought on Twitter. It's being fought on Facebook. It's being fought on YouTube. The war is here. Because, because of historic Christianity and historic evangelicalism, and because it's a, it has firmly staked out this war as a shooting war, in the minds of people who are believers, the, the, the entire paradigm is based on that. And so it's easy to sell freeze-dried foods and guns and ammunition. I've often asked, I remember this one occasion, I was talking to this one fellow. He had a farm in Oklahoma. He's dead now, so I can talk about him. Had a farm in Oklahoma and uh, he told me that he had about 150 guns that he had fortified the farmhouse in Oklahoma. He had planted crops and he had several thousand rounds of ammunition. And I said to him, I said, now Bob, his name was, first name was Bob. I said, Bob, in your apocalyptic scenario, if you if somebody's driving out from Oklahoma City or walking out of Oklahoma City down to your farm because that's where food is, am I to understand that you as a believer are going to sit on your, in your fortified house looking through peepholes with guns pointed at these hapless wretches who are starving 
and your intent is to sit there and shoot people all day long. Is that what I'm hearing you say? He saw the abominable perspective that he had casually embraced. A believer? A believer? Defending his food supply? Or even defending his life? In in the name of Christ? Now, I'm not saying you don't have a right to defend yourself. You do. You do have a right to defend yourself. And you have a right to defend yourself violently. But if it is the question of your faith, because that's what we're talking about. This war isn't about about economics. This war is about a conflict between the people of God and the beast. It's about who you are. What is the biblical admonition regarding engaging in this war if it's that kind of war? Well, Jesus would say, if you lost your life for my sake and the gospels, then you'll you'll gain your life. We have we, we now have preachers. I heard this one idiot on television the other day, and I'm sorry, but there's so many of them, and they think that by getting up and spouting this, these irrational things and doing so loudly that they could hide themselves under the label prophet. But he was boastfully carrying on about how all of the ushers at, quote, his church, my church, he said, pack weapons. And if you come in here, I've given my ushers orders, and of course they're his ushers, it's his church, so he has a right to do whatever he wants to, I guess. But don't confuse that with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is loud talking, uninformed um, posturers. These aren't prophets. My God, what have we come to? Prophets? We're telling his audience, an applauding audience, by the way. My, my ushers, are, uh, they're all packing. You come in here, they're going to kill you. They're going to take you down. How would that have played with the early believers in Rome when Romans were hunting them? Should they form cohorts, engage the Roman military? It's the kind of mindless drivel, blustering, posturing, macho that's passing for the prophetic. No wonder the people are deaf and blind. If these are their leaders, of course they're going to be deafened by these rantings. But I'm saying, this isn't even the war. This is a red herring. And what it's doing more than anything else, it's disclosing the nature of those who claim to be prophets 
and also claim to be leaders of the people of God. These are just loud mouth, loud talking people. And if you follow them, listen, what did Jesus say to Peter when he drew a sword to defend Jesus and cut off the high priest's servant's ear? This high priest's servant's name was Malchus. He cut off Malchus's ear. Did Jesus say, Peter, you, I'm going to elevate you to head usher because, because you did the right thing. You know, it's simple. We have actually forgotten what the Word of God is. We're caught up in such soulish hysteria. These aren't mature believers. These are children, pompous children, talking big, because nobody has actually come to shoot at them. But I suppose I ought to leave that and continue to explain what this war is. While they're engaged in this posturing and loud speech, the real war has already come. The fact is evangelicalism is rapidly being shown to be conflated with white supremacy. And the speakers are one and the other. But the real war is against a real enemy and those who are actually the real people of God. Not a harlot church rapidly descending into deception and darkness even as this great separation has come. This is what's going to happen. He was given a mouth because it's a war of words and it speaks simultaneously great things and blasphemies. So it's a mixed message. It's bait and switch. It'll tell you things that are true It'll tell you things that are even exalted and elevated, but in the coating of that, he will slip in the poison that is actually blasphemy against God. I am am beyond words at times to see what has happened and how quickly it has happened to the evangelical church. It's staking out its position. It has become the aggressor. And it's not the aggressor because it's being persecuted. It's the aggressor because it fears losing its way of life. This isn't about suffering for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. This is about the fear of losing privilege. And on any basis on which it can draw a battle line, it will do so. It is now drawing battle lines behind duck blinds or behind or battle lines on vaccines and all forms of 
red herring. And even as I said that, I know that's the sacred cow of many people who will hear what I'm saying and that's the reason they'll turn me off. And again I say, I don't really care. If you, if a person insists on misdirection, misinformation and is mired in that stuff, knock yourself out. Help yourself to the largest helpings of it. I don't really care. I don't know what to say to wake up foolish people, silly people, deceived people who in obsessing about these unimportant issues are leaving entirely untended the matter of revelation and prophetic utterances that are meant to illuminate the darkness of the present age. There were two reasons Israel perished in the wilderness. One was disobedience and the other was unbelief. Unbelief is the result of seeing and not seeing, hearing and not hearing, neither understanding. You see, it wasn't about, it wasn't that they weren't seeing, it wasn't that they weren't hearing, it is that they were seeing and hearing but they were not seeing when they were seeing and they were not hearing when they were hearing. What is the condition in which a person is? who sees and doesn't see, who hears and doesn't hear. What is that condition? It's the condition of only seeing what you want to see and only hearing what you want to hear. And that produces stubbornness, which is the same as lawlessness. By and large, the evangelical church has come to the place where it cannot be led. The mob is leading. The mob is leading. I saw the other day where um, it was uh, Franklin Graham was calling for prayer for Mike Pence. And the, the blowback was that he was a traitor, that Mike Pence was a traitor, that he was uh, a sellout, and on and on in the most disgusting of language. The rage, the vituperation in the hearts of these people. Now, I think this is the cautionary tale. You see, Franklin and, and others like him were happy to lead a people when they when their opinions matched with the opinions of a mob. They're finding out that the mob has no real leader except its basest uh, instincts and they're willing to cast aside a Mike Pence, they're willing to cast aside a, a, um, a, a Franklin Graham or whoever. And frankly, these fellows deserve that that treatment. 
because they were not leaders who spoke from the point of view of God, they spoke from the point of view of their politics. Now, as I have said many times, God is simply discarding this form of leadership because it never was representative of what God was saying. And He's raising up the leadership that has always been responsive to what God is saying. I am telling you that the whole point of this is to return a people to the hearing of God. Now, I have already deconstructed the component of this that says, He opened His mouth in blasphemy against God and then contextually He blasphemed God's name which is God's authority, He blasphemes the body of Christ and all that that has to do with. The body of Christ is not inclusive of everything and everyone. Let's understand it, let me say it again. The body of Christ is not inclusive of everything and everyone. The body of Christ consists of a holy people, a holy people, not a filthy people, not people who turn away from the truth, not people who turn away from the living God. It's comprised of a holy people. Now, blasphemy against His dwelling place, the body of Christ, is going to highlight things that we do that are not popular. Someone criticizing me on uh, social media the other day uh, highlighted things that I said and did. And her, it was a woman, a young woman, positioned these things to popular appeal. Someone who called it to my attention said, does she not understand that you're simply quoting the scriptures in terms of the things you stand for? Well, of course, uh, this people understand that if you, if you make your appeal to the generally accepted standards of society, that you have an audience and they don't actually care what the Scriptures say. Why should I care what they think then? If they don't care about the standard of Scripture and instead go to the standard of social media, what do I need to care about what they say? I don't. I'm sent as a messenger of Christ, not as a popular herald of socially acceptable tomes. All of that will perish. It may not perish in my day, but it will surely perish. So I've already spoken about blasphemy against God in the three contexts of His name, which is His power, His tabernacle, or the body of Christ, and seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Now in this war, the outcome is not uncertain. The beast engages this kind of polemics. It will redefine what is the body of Christ. It will redefine the authority and power uh, and sources of sovereignty from which people may operate. It will turn it away from the claim of the Lord Jesus Christ to possessing all authority 
in heaven and on earth and he'll turn it to how many Twitter followers you have. And if you're, if you're suckered into that kind of a mindset, as believers, you're going to lose the battle. I'm telling you now, you're going to lose the battle. They will make war against the saints and will overcome them in the popular arena. In the marketplace of ideas, the, 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 the scriptures are a losing proposition to the majority of people. And God doesn't care that that's true. He said it already, that the way that leads to destruction is broad and many will find it. He's going to redefine the church away from a a popularity contest and he's going to bring it back to what it always has been, which is accuracy of alignment to eternal truths. In that sense, we don't lose the battle even if we lose the war. The truth will ultimately prevail. I'm Sam Solon and we'll continue our discussion of Revelation 13. Thank you.